Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to today's focus for Saturday, May the 20th, 2023, at 12.27 p.m. Central Time. Today's focus, well, it's the same focus you've had over the past two days. We've kind of found ourselves in a mini-series, and the focus has been for the last two days, and it will be again today, on the great de-churching or the de-churched. The great de-churching or the de-churched. The de-churched are individuals who used to go to church on a regular, consistent basis, you know, like once a week or more, and now they basically don't go to church. At the very most, they go once a year. People who were actively involved in their church going week after week after week, they stopped They stopped attending church. They're no longer connected to the church. They are now classified as the de-churched. The process, this this phenomenon of what is happening is being called the de-churching, and they call it the great de-churching because of the massive numbers of people who have dropped out of church over the last 20 to 30 years. So we've been looking at this phenomenon, trying to understand this. I've pointed you to a book that will be coming out in a couple of months that is that has gathered all of the data, all of the research about this phenomenon to help us try to understand it. I've told you about a podcast from the Gospel Coalition that we are reviewing uh, because they're dedicating an entire season of their podcast to the de-churching phenomenon. I told you to go subscribe to that. And then we're just trying to just really discuss this, understand it. In the last episode, if you missed it, well, let's just say I got pretty, I got pretty intense. I had some pretty strong opinions. You could hear my frustration with some of it, and we'll mention a little bit of that. So let's do this. Let's try to get everyone kind of caught up. There is a podcast called As in Heaven. As in heaven, you should look up the podcast. They're dedicating an entire season to the de-churching phenomenon. They released an episode on May the 10th, 2023 with this title, Who are the de-churched in America and why did they leave? Who are the de-churched and why did they leave? And in their description, they stated this. They look at insights about the 40 million adult Americans who have de-churched in the last 30 years. So in 30 years in the United States of America, 40 million people have completely disconnected from the church. They have walked away. They have said, done, we are moving on. All right. And this has, this is now being discussed as, in fact, I'll go to the book uh, called The Great Dechurching. They describe it this way. They describe this as the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. The largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history. You are living through it. I'm living through it. You may not be paying any attention. You may not be even aware of it. You may be looking at your church, your congregation, and it may not have had much of an impact, but this is happening whether you see it or not. Whether you want to discuss it, whether you want to acknowledge it, the greatest, I cannot, let me state this again, the largest and fastest religious shift in U.S. history is happening 
right now. We need to understand this religious shift, this largest and fastest religious shift. We need to understand it and we need to see where that's going to lead us in the, in, in the future. I have been saying now over and over and over and over and over for a very long time, the American church is undergoing a radical transformation. And I think in the next five years, we're going to see, in a sense, what the the church in general is going to look like. Right now, it's in a transitional period. And I talked about some of the issues, the political hijacking of the church, spiritual apathy, distraction, church attendance. People are just, look, even people who have not completely de-churched, just trying to get them to come to church for Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday, it's almost become an impossible task. Where I feel that there was a time in my life where people showed up to all services. Now it's like, are you kidding me? Like uh, you, I, you, you get one hour for me, and you better count, count yourself fortunate, right? Like it's 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 something ha- is happening, and then technological advances, people can can gather all the spiritual food and nourishment that they want from the comfort of their home on their phone. And they don't, they don't, the church, no matter, no matter what we want, no matter how much we say the church is essential to one's spiritual life, they can get more spiritual food, better spiritual food, 24 hours a day, seven days a week without ever driving past a church, without ever walking inside a church. And that's a reality. Now, you could argue that a lot of that spiritual food they're getting is being produced by churches. So if those churches didn't exist, what would happen to all of their spiritual food? That's a whole different discussion. But things are happening rapidly. So a book has been written together. All of this research, it's it, it, this has been peer-reviewed. It's it's like the most comprehensive academic study on the Great Dechurching. I'm sorry about my losing my voice almost for a second there. Um, but the Great Dechurching, this is the name of the book, The Great Dechurching, Who's Leaving? Why Are They Going? And What Will It Take to Bring Them Back? The book will be published sometime this summer. It's written by Jim Davis, Michael Graham, and Ryan P. Burge, The Great Dechurching. Please look up a copy of that book. Please purchase the book, like, pre-order it today. Pre-order it today. You say, well, I don't really care about all of this, but you you should care, right? If you care about Christianity, the future of Christianity, the church, the future of the church, you may want to at least know. So then when other people start saying nonsensical things, that does not that does not come from the research and from the data you can be better informed to go well i don't know if that's exactly right if that's exactly correct now i've received lots of emails about all of this everyone has some strong opinions and we will definitely try to get to everyone's emails as soon as we can but right now we still have a lot of this podcast from the ghost of the gospel coalition as in heaven we have a lot of this episode to review. So we're going to do our best to try to review it and, and, and critique it and analyze it and see what we can learn. Now, this is what they've given us so far in the podcast. And this is a summary, all right? This is what they've given us. 40 million people have de-churched in 30 years, right? That seems almost everyone, no, I don't think there's much debate on those numbers. 15 million of the 40 million that have de-churched are evangelicals. 
The other two categories are Catholics, which we believe would have a false gospel. So we wouldn't even view them as, you know, leaving a historical biblical church. And the fact that they've disconnected or dechurched puts them hopefully in a, in a situation where maybe they would be more willing to hear a gospel that is radically different than what they heard in the, in the Catholic church. The other part of that uh, 40 million is people are part of very liberal mainline uh, denominations, mainstream denominations that have become so literal, uh, so liberal and apostate that we wouldn't even refer to those as probably Christian churches. So you have a lot of people who have de-churched from churches that we would call apostate or a false gospel, right? I don't see that as bad news. I see that as good news. They are possibly out there ready to hear the truth. We don't know exactly. Maybe, maybe they hate Christianity. We don't know, but at least they have disconnected from these very apostate churches. Now that leaves 15 million evangelicals. And out of these 15 million evangelicals, there are four profiles that you can take these evangelicals and put them into different groups. The first group they identified, this is about 8 million. These are called cultural Christians. And we don't know for sure if these cultural Christians are even saved. And it looks like these cultural Christians, uh, that they've just kind of adopted Christianity because of a cultural reason. We don't even know if they're saved. Only about 1% of that 8 million would agree with a statement like Jesus is the son of God. Like uh, only 22% would agree with a statement like the Bible is the literal word of God. So this, this group is a mess. Now, according to the podcast, and this is where I started losing my mind yesterday, they think the way we should minister to this group is they need friends. They need community. So what we need to do is create a church where they can find friendship and community and they need social formation. They basically, so the church should try to minister to these people by providing friendships and, and, and I'm like, this is crazy. And then I guess we're supposed to provide them theology because I, I don't know, but from, it's just the whole thing seems weird. It looks like this group would need evangelization and need the gospel, but. I guess what they really, I guess we give them, we create a church where we focus all of our attention on programs, activities, so that they can build friendships. And then hopefully, because they come for the friendship, then we can sneak in a little Jesus, I guess. I don't know. I, I, I'm not down with that entire approach, but that's almost the approach that was promoted on the podcast. So now we're going to continue and see what the other three profiles are. So the first profile, this makes up 8 million people, cultural Christians. Eight million cultural Christians have dechurched. And the way to get them back is to say, hey, you're lonely. You don't have any friends. The church is a good place to find friends and community. Which, yeah, that I can't even explain to you the possible problems with that. We won't go into that now. Go listen to my last broadcast where I go on a full, a full blown rant. Okay. I'll try to avoid any rants today. But with all that said, let's go back to the Gospel Coalition, their podcast, As in Heaven, where they're talking about dechurching. Remember, they're talking about it for an entire season. Go listen to every episode, subscribe to it, become an expert on this phenomenon. But for now, let's at least review the rest of this episode. Here we go. That's helpful. All right, so let's let's keep this moving. Let's go to group number two. Ryan, what can you tell us about the second de-churched evangelical group? 
yeah, you know, the, we call these the mainstream evangelical dechurched. Um, there's very little difference between this group and the people who still go to church. You know, that's really like the primary difference. They look in, in all these demographic factors like church going folks, they just don't go. Um, which is an interesting kind of puzzle sociologically for me is like, what is the the little switch that flips for them that says I'm not going anymore? It's a small group, only about 2.5 uh, million people in this group and the next group. They make up about one sixth of all the people who have left evangelical churches. So this is not this is not most dechurched evangelicals. Um, they've dechurched very recently. The overwhelming number of them have dechurched in the last three years. Okay, so this group is the mainstream. I don't know exactly how we, he says there's very little difference between them and the previous group. So if there's very little, oh no, this is very little difference between them and the, those who go to church. So is this 2.5 million who still, in a sense, look like churchgoers, but they just don't go to church? In other words, is this a two point, what I'm interested in, is this 2.5, are they claiming we are Christians, we love Jesus, we're going to study the Bible, we're going to grow spiritually, but we're just going to do it outside of the church? Now, if they if they have de-churched recently, I would be curious. This group would be the one that I would really want to focus on, 2.5. If 2.5 million people are out there, they've dechurched very recently. I would I would be curious to know if these people love Jesus, love the gospel, but feel that the church has become too political. And they've walked away for political reasons. They're sick and tired of their church looking like, you know, the Republican election campaign headquarters and sound like Tucker Carlson. I wonder if, if, if that's like, I'm curious about this group. Now, maybe they're going to give us some information, but if this group looks just like the church going people, then they they don't really seem to know what flipped the switch. But I would be curious if the political hijack, if these people are the ones who have de-churched in the last three years and they look just like church going people, I I think maybe I, I'm going to possibly point towards politics, but I could be wrong. 61% female, 91% white. Um, their education, income, and marriage rates kind of look what we would expect like in the general public to look like, so they don't stand out on those topics. Um, they have really high orthodoxy scores. Um, 86% of them have the right answers, the evangelical answers on the now, please note, 80, they have high orthodoxy scores. Remember the other group, the cultural Christians, they, they bomb the orthodox score, right? They could, I don't even know if Jesus, they, they, most of them deny Jesus is the son of God. This group are people who have left the church, but they know all the right doctrinal answers. They know all the right theology. Something is very fascinating about this group. They're like sick of church, done with church. But hey, ask me some theology, ask me some doctrine, and boom, I'm going to get the answers right. Something, th- this, this group is fascinating to me. Let's see what else they say about them. These core doctrines of faith, almost all of them, 98% said that Jesus is the son of God, and they had a very high view of the Bible, meaning a I mean, 98% Jesus, son of God, they have a high view of scripture. This is completely different than the cult, the other category, the cultural Christians. So these look like church going people. They sound like church going people, but they have left the church. 
what 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 is going on here? Okay, this this group is this is a group I really would like to explore. This, this is the group that probably fascinates me the most. A literalist view of the Bible. Um, it seems pretty clear in the data that these are very orthodox, sincere Christian people. These are not people who are doctrinally, you know, drifting on these issues. Um, they're center right politically. They seem like they know a lot about public policy. Um, I would kind of put them as sort of like a George W. Bush style Republican. So, you know, not the the current MAGA Trump that seems to have taken over the GOP, but more the old style, like your Mitt Romney, um, you know, uh, even a George Herbert Walker Bush back in the day. Um, and they left church for because they moved because it was inconvenient to go because COVID got them out of the habit or they might have had a negative experience with the church or the people inside the church. And here's a really interesting statistic about this group. 100% of this group said they were willing to return to an evangelical church. Okay, that's interesting. So they didn't necessarily say politics. They said a bad experience, but it says that they're willing to look. So I wonder if they left their church. I guess maybe you just got out out of habit. Maybe, maybe, I guess, I guess that would make sense. I mean, it's always possible. I I just think politics would have more of an impact on this group. If they're not the crazy Trump supporting kind of Republican, which has taken over so many kinds of churches, I I, I know I put it this way. I know I would be driven out of a church in 3.2 seconds with that kind of crazy politic. I would leave in a – if the church becomes politically hijacked, I'm gone. I'm not sticking around. So I – but they're willing to come back. But just – these people know the doctrine. They know the theology. They they, 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 these are – they seem committed Christians. They, They just have said no to the church. Okay, let's see what else we can find out about this group. So they're not they're not floating out there. They're actually willing to and eager to, in some ways, come back to church. It's just something in their life kind of serves as a roadblock. They look for new friends. They want a good church, um, and they also are thinking that eventually God is going to convict them, you know, psychologically and get them to go back to church. That's really interesting. A hundred percent of them believe they will return to an evangelical church. Um, so what struck uh, pastorally, I guess, sociologically too, but what struck you as you look at this group in terms of what the church can do to engage them better, relate to them better, help them make this return that they believe they will make one day? I think race is an interesting um, component of this group because if they're center right, we just talked about that, you know, they're sort of the old school, you know, style of, of Republican, Mitt Romney style, but on racial issues, they actually tend to be a little bit left of center. So, you know, Black Lives Matter, George, George Floyd, systemic racism, institutional racism. They're more willing to embrace those ideas, let's say, than a tradition. I just find that hilarious. If you care, if you care about racial issues and social justice, you're left. Like, hey, racism, systemic racism, racism is bad. The killing of African-Americans who don't deserve to die is wrong. You're left. Why does that make you left? Like I say, I, I just, oh, I hate the political categories you get put in, right? If you, if you support this or you support, you're a Republican, you're a liberal. How about I'm a human being and I don't want to see other people of any color be killed. 
I don't like racism because I think it's horrible and it treats people less than human and it destroys the dignity of a human being. I, I like, like, I don't, does that make you liberal? Does that make you left? That just seems, that seems odd to me, but okay. Okay. Republican is. So I think race might be an, an entree point for a lot of pastors to think maybe with this group, I could talk more about race and I could talk about race in maybe a little bit less conservative direction, talk about more institutional causes and less personal things. I think that's a really interesting, you know, we, we kind of wrap race up with politics writ large. So if you're a Republican, you believe these things about race, you're a Democrat, you believe those things about race. This group does not fit in that mold. So they're a little bit more left of center on, on racial issues, but politically they're more um, right of center. They also have an above average value of wanting a church that doesn't just care about doctrine, but also cares about ethics as well. You know, that's a really interesting point we just made about, you know, we should go deeper and, you know, more meat, meat and potatoes kind of sermons, but they also care about ethics, like how to apply these doctrines in these very sticky situations like reparations, let's say, which is an interesting political um, uh, topic, but it's also an interesting ethical topic about retribution, forgiveness and reconciliation and, and all those kind of things. It, Okay, I, I've got to step in here. I've got to step in here. Okay, I don't want to go into one of my full blown rants like I did yesterday, so I'm going to remain calm. The worst, this is my own philosophy. I know my philosophy is stupid, I know it's archaic, I know it does not fit with reality. If you want to have a successful church, Listen to them. If you want to have a very unsuccessful church, if you want to, uh, then listen to me. If you want to have a successful Christian podcast, listen to them. If you want to have an unsuccessful Christian podcast, listen to me. I know all the ways to be unsuccessful, but I think it's utterly ridiculous to look at the demographics, right? Look at the demographics. Try to find out what kind of sermons would reach these people and then preach those kinds of sermons. I think that's utterly ridiculous. Our job is to open up the scriptures and just preach the scriptures. That's what we preach right here, the scriptures. We preach the scriptures and wherever the scriptures lead us, what they say, what it's talking about. That's what we teach. That's what we teach. I don't go, hmm. Now, I understand that there are times when there's something happening culturally, happening impacting the church that you can say, okay, we're going to be talking about race issues from a biblical perspective, but you're doing that because it's an issue that is relevant to the times in which you live. And you do so from a biblical perspective. You don't go, well, I'm going to have to. So this group wants to talk more about racism from an institutional standpoint instead of a personal standpoint. So I'm going to like, you don't chase you. The sermon is not the place to chase the crowd. You're not chasing new members with your sermon. You're preaching what is needed. You're preaching what is necessary, whether the people want to hear it or don't want to hear it. You can't worry about what they want to hear. You can't worry about what they perceive they need to hear. You have to give them what is here. So I, I understand there's a, it's a fine point. I understand if people are interested in your church in a certain subject, it's perfectly okay to preach that. I'm not saying it's not. But I'm saying first, you don't preach it the way they want to hear it. You preach it the way it is in the scripture, whether they like it or not. And secondly, you can't just be constantly chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing and chasing the crowd. You can't. You can't chase the crowd. No, you can't. I, I just, 
There, there's a fine line there. There's a fine, I, I hope you understand. I understand there's a fine line there. there. It's perfectly okay to know what the people want. And you're like, okay, great. Here's what you want me to talk about. Wonderful. Now I'm going to talk about it in the most biblical theological way. And I don't care if it offends you or not. I don't care if it goes with the way you're thinking or not. So, all right. This group is, is they need uh, they need a friend to get them back into church. They need a little bridge is what we call that. To- so I guess what I guess what we're learning is out of about 10.5 million people, what the church really needs to do is provide friends. <laughs> I guess what we are discovering is people leave the church because they don't have friends. So the church needs to be, le- I mean, I, I hate to say this, but it almost comes down to what the church really needs to do is be less of a theological institution and more of a social institution. The church has to ump, to up, to ump, to up its focus. It has to up its focus on social function. It has to, oh, uh, it has to up its a focus on social formation. It's about friends. It's about relationships. It's about a sense of belonging. It's about a sense of community. You, you've got to emphasize that. Like you can sit there and tell them Jesus is what matters and theology is what matters. But behind the scenes, you're like, okay, guys, we need a social planning committee. All right. Come on, guys. We need some activities. What can we do to build relationships? What can we do to help them with their social formation? Now you still keep speaking like it's about Jesus. It's about theology. Theology. You keep you keep promoting that, right? So that you don't sound unspiritual, but then everything slowly but surely begins to make it about social formation, friends, and relationships. And that's the key to the church. Sell Jesus, sell preaching, but everything is really designed for the social aspect. You got to sell Jesus because you got to sound spiritual because nobody wants to come to a church where they're like, hey, guys, we really don't care about theology. We don't really care about preaching. We want you to find a place to you have a sense of belonging and community and friendship. This is about a relationship with each other. You can't say that because people would be like, how liberal, how ungodly. So you got to make it sound like the Bible and theology is important, but everything is designed for the other. That's the game. That's the game you have to play. That's the game you have to play. To get them from where they are back into the church community, they are overwhelmingly, 100% of them said they're willing to go back. And it does seem like in the data they sincerely miss the church experience and feel like God is kind of nudging them in that way. You know, in, in the economics, behavioral economics literature especially, talk about nudges matter a lot, which just someone saying, like, I think you're good at that. Or I want to remind you to get that done. That's the kind of stuff this group needs. It's just a nudge from a, a friend who goes to church says, hey, you want to come with me this Sunday? That might be enough to get a lot of these people back in the pews. Not a huge, you know, advertising campaign, not a big evangelical reach out. Just one person tapping them on the shoulder, say, Hey, I'm going to church tomorrow. You want to go? Seems like in the data, this is the kind of group that would say absolutely yes and get back in church and probably stay in that church they went back to if they got back in the door for the first time. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the, the way you, you mentioned we're not looking, um, 
let me say it like this. We kind of critiqued what we called TED Talk and Coldplay and TED Talk. But then there's this other extreme, too, that's all doctrine and information. It may be not as emotive. Uh, people, from what we've seen from the research, grow up feeling like, okay, I hear that. But how does the Bible address concerns in the world, injustices in the world? So there are extremes here. And we need to make sure, not as a church, not to be drifting to one of these two extremes. Mike, what can you tell us about the third de-churched evangelical group? All right, so we call this group the ex-evangelicals because 0% of them are willing to return to an evangelical church. I know this term means one thing on the internet and in the Twitter sphere, but we're using these terms maybe a little bit different than what you might have heard in those particular spaces. What you see online regarding ex-evangelicals is that these are people who are typically deconstructing their faith, oftentimes entirely. And typically, the folks who are, you know, kind of doing these things online maybe have a higher education and maybe an above-average income as well. Um, I reached out to a couple different folks um, because of what we kind of what we saw in the data and just some uh, some dissonance between, you know, how I would have thought about that term and what we saw in the data. Um, I reached out to some folks who ran some large social media accounts kind of surrounding um, the evangelical community to see, okay, hey, here's some of the data of what we're seeing. And can you just cross-reference this with kind of your social dashboard on your back end? With- okay, now... This is the ex-evangelical. It sounds like typically this is this is seen as people who are deconstructing and basically hate Christianity or leaving Christianity altogether. He seemingly he seems that he may be trying to modify this a little bit that that may not be a an complete accurate representation of the ex. All right, so we've got the cultural Christian, uh, the cultural Christian. We've got what they call the mainstream uh, people who. All right. Now, the cultural Christian, they, they're, they're basically I, – I don't even know if you can call them Christian if only 1% of 8 million believe Jesus is the son of God. I mean, that's bad. The mainstream, they're, all their orthodoxy is right. They can get all the doctrinal doctrine right, but they're just out of church, and it seems like we're not 100% sure why, but they do seem 100% willing to come back, but it seems like they need friend or whatever. Okay, But in both groups, they're saying that they basically need friends in some way, shape, or form. And then the third group is the ex-evangelical, and they're trying to define what that means. Let's see what they have to say. With respect to the, you know, the people who are resonating with the kinds of you know, ex-evangelical deconstructing content that you're putting together, and oddly enough, what I heard back from those people is that, who ran those accounts was that our, actually our data actually lined up pretty closely. So namely this, ex-evangelicals are largely middle-aged women with below average income and education. To be more specific, this group for us in our data set was 65% female, 82% white, 13% black, with an average age of 53 years old. This group also had below average income and education, marriage rate, and rate of um, employment. By far, another thing that stu- stood out was the relationship between this group and American institutions. Namely, American institutions have not been working for this group. They have been left by the wayside. They feel disenfranchised to virtually every institution in the United States. Interestingly enough, the group is actually doctrinally quite orthodox. They were the second most orthodox of any of the groups that we looked at in terms 
Oh, wow. So this is crazy. So this group, the evangelical, you would think are people who have apostatized, but they're saying this is the second most orthodox group. This would be going along with the mainstream. So they just, they're tired of the institution. They believe the institution has abandoned them. They hate the institution. So I wonder, and it's, 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 it's largely women. I wonder if this has anything to do with sexual assault and sexual abuse. This is this is this is interesting. This is an uh, this has taken on a new. I I wasn't prepared for this. They said ex evangelical, so I'm like, okay, these are people who are down with Christianity, but these are women who seem maybe not done with Christianity, but definitely done with the church, and they just they they despise the institution possibly of the clusters, um, de-churched or mainline or Catholic. Um, 97% of this group believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and this group had the second highest view of the Bible behind the, the mainstream uh, group that uh, Ryan just outlined. Um, the group is also over, overwhelmingly self-identifies as independent politically. 59% of this group see themselves as political independents. So now, that's interesting. If the institution has become politically hijacked and this group overwhelmingly sees themselves as independently or political as an independent politically, they are not. I would doubt they're going to sit well with a Trump Republican hijacked church. I think they're going to possibly be disgusted by that and sick of that. I still think the political hijacking of the church contributes to all of this much more than anyone is letting on. I, I'm still convinced of that. I'm still convinced of that. But, and maybe some of the, you know, horrible scandals of sexual abuse is, has driven some of these women away from the church as well. You can see how this group has very much been left by the wayside by our two-party um, political system as well. Now, they lean center-left policy-wise, okay? But, you know, again, very, very disenfranchised from American institutions and the ways in which things are, you know, structured in American culture and society. The group is deeply allergic to racism, deeply allergic to misogyny, deeply allergic to partisan politics, and are, has very high concern for how vulnerable people are treated. It seems clear that many in this group have been subject to many of those things, racism, misogyny, um, being left behind by partisan politics, and are vulnerable persons themselves. Um, this group left church because they didn't fit in relationally, they didn't feel love from the church. They had bad experiences with both individuals in the church and the church as an institution itself. And they had significant disagreements politically with the church, with the congregation, and with their clergy. Here you go. Here you go. That, that's, of course you're not going to fit in. I, I've said it a million times. This is the group I would find myself in. I would find myself in the ex-evangelical group. I would. Orthodoxy, I believe historical biblical Christianity, right? I believe Jesus is the eternal son of God, second person of the Trinity, one God, 
uh, three distinct persons, co-equal, co-eternal. I believe in the hypostatic union. I, go on, I, I believe in substitutionary death. I believe in that we are saved by an imputed righteousness, not an infused righteousness. We can go, Christ was the propitiation and satisfied the wrath of God on my behalf. I can go on and on. I, orthodoxy, I got no problem. Write down. I believe the Bible's the inspired and errant word of God. I mean, I can go on and on and on. Or, or, theological orthodoxy, I'm right there in line with, with historical Christianity, right? No problems. But I say over and over, I feel almost no connection in many cases. If I was to go to church and I was a church member, I would feel no connection with the other members of the congregation because most of them are far crazy Republican Fox News watching. I, like I would not even I would not agree with their politics. I would not agree with their views on the culture wars. I would not agree on any of that would have nothing in common with them. So I would feel completely disconnected with them, most likely have major issues with the, the clergy that would per, be either supporting or promoting some of these crazy political ideas. I would feel completely de- de- disenfranchised, disconnected. And well, like an ex-evangelical, I would just like, I would have want nothing to do with it. And racism bothers me greatly. Racism bothers me greatly. The, the misogynistic attitudes that some men in the church have had, like when, when MacArthur did his little go home to Beth Moore comment that was just ridiculous and childish like a junior high boy. Like I had no, I have no patience for that kind of nonsense. He can speak, you can speak doctrinally and theologically clear about what you believe the Bible teaches about a woman's role in ministry or not. But just that basically, you know, go home and, you know, stand in the kitchen and, and you like that kind of thing. I know. So there's plenty of times I find myself completely at odds with mainstream Christianity. If I listen to American family radio, completely, I'm disconnected from that. I can go on and on and on and on. So I very much understand this group. It's interesting though. It's predominantly women. I wonder why. I think I can understand why. I'll just give some examples. I have, I've, I've watched this take place in the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, into the 2020s, right? I have, I have watched this happen over and over and over. You get a group of Christians together, like, and, and you're talking about something going on in the world, something going on in Afghanistan, something going on in Iraq, something going on, it doesn't matter where, and, and military possibly is involved. It's very common for Christian men to say something like, we just need to turn that place into a parking lot. We just need to nuke that place, bomb that place into oblivion. And I'm like, oh, so just kill all of those human beings because you don't care about them? That would be some something massively insensitive like completely to me, ungodly, not even biblical that Christian men would say, right? It's just this like arrogant, almost just misogynist, like just kill people and it doesn't matter. No sensitivity to suffering, no sensitivity to, to issues. Can't, don't, doesn't seem to be bothered, like, you know, about s- possible systemic racism or about racism of the past. Doesn't seem to be bothered by, well, we went into Iraq. Oh, there were no weapons of mass destruction. So what? Who cares if a million people died? Not our problem, right? Like, it's just very like, it, it's almost like a braggadocious, arrogant high school boy trying to talk about world events, but trying to do so with kind of this swagger and this like, oh, look at me, I'm so tough. And it's just, it's childish and it's crazy. 
Maybe maybe the women have, have heard that kind of mentality. I don't know. But clearly they feel disconnected and like strangers in their own church. And, and I feel like that with all of Christianity, like I'm a complete outcast to Christianity. So I, I don't, I don't I'm, I'm not saying those are specific things. I'm just I'm just trying to offer my own trying to understand and interpret this data. Again, I want to reiterate, zero percent of this group are willing to return to an evangelical church. They are done with this type of expression of the Christian faith. And I, I hate to say it. I've said before, if my church didn't exist, I think I possibly would be done with the institution. I think I'd be done with it. I'm not saying that's biblical. I'm not saying that's theological. I'm not saying it's right. Just think if I take, if I take all of my experience in church at first as a church member, and some of the things I've encountered as a pastor, and I have encountered a lot of good. Let me make it very clear. My experience as a pastor has been 99% good compared to what most pastors have encountered. But if I took all of the stories that I've heard from other pastors, all the things I've witnessed, all the things that I've heard, I think I would just, and because of the, how politically hijacked the church is today, I, I don't know if I'd ever go back. Now you can you can be shocked by that. You can say that that's a horrible attitude. I'm just being I'm just being open and transparent with you. I I would not abandon Christ. I would not. Now I know what you're saying. You if you abandon the church, you abandon Christ. I understand. I understand. All you know. I would be look. Who cares? Christians always have their opinions and condemn everyone. At this point, Christians yelling and screaming and condemning me. I don't even really care anymore because they yell and scream and condemn everybody. So, you know, they've got their own. If they were even five seconds, if they would just take five seconds to look in the mirror, maybe they would see they got enough problems on their own to start worrying about me. But, hey, I digress. Um, I'm just saying that that's the reality. That's the reality of the situation. The church is so politically hijacked. The church is just it's a social club more than it wants to be anything else. And even though and they try to pretend to be something, there's just so much about it. I would just be like. Done. And I feel like my mental health and spiritual health would probably be better because of it. I know I probably shouldn't say that, but I, 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 I really possibly do. However, interestingly enough, they are still willing to return to a different expression of church. And the things that they're looking for, for the type of church that they would be willing to return to, again, not an evangelical church, they're willing to, to go to a church that has a good pastor, that's healthy, that where they, um, if they feel that God is moving in their heart, to push them back, you know, towards church, and they're willing to return if they find a church that cares about justice and compassion for vulnerable people. All right, so Ryan, let's let's take that's the data. Let, let's take this data and uh, work it into the churches, the church leadership. What do you see as opportunities for us to relate to them better, engage them better? Uh, it's such a different group going from 100% willing to return to 0% willing. I would imagine the way that you look at engaging and relating to this group would be very different. Yeah, first I got to say that, that when we started working through, these, working through the clusters and what they look like, 
you don't tell the algorithm what is the most important variable or what you really want it to focus on. It figures it out on its own. It almost feels like magic in some ways. You're like, how did it, how did it know? Like, how did it figure that thing out? And why, you know, why did it matter so much? Cause when it says like the evangelical, would you go back or not? And one group gets a hundred percent and one group gets zero, zero percent. It somehow sorts out that that's what we cared about. When, and this is really sort of the, the in some weird way the defining question of these clusters and really sort of sorted them out and to see them sort out you know like sixty percent forty percent thirty percent eighty percent no it was one hundred percent one and zero percent another is a huge deal because it's saying like there's something really key about their orientation to evangelicalism specifically that's driving these clusters and making them different so you know that we need to really kind of ruminate on that very much, you know, like how even your view of evangelicalism matters more than almost anything else when it comes to, you know, what kind of de-churched you are. They, they can smell racism, misogyny, partisan politics from a mile away, and they won't have any of it. You know, they are the kind of people who would say, I won't go back to that evangelical church because you don't have any people of color in your leadership. You don't have any women, um, you know, on your pastorate. These are the kind of people who look at evangelical doctrine and not just, uh, you know, theological doctrine, but also what kind of what's become the political and social doctrine of a lot of these evangelical churches and say, yeah, I'm, I'm allergic to all those kind of things. I want a church that's inclusive, that's welcoming, that has, you know, female pastors, that has racial diversity, not just in the pews, but also in the pulpit. Um, they, they are hurt by church. You know, that they clearly there's a, they're reacting to something in American evangelicalism and they are walking away and it doesn't seem like they have any desire to go back. And remember, you know, we talked about, you know, not every church has to be the same thing. They can be different things. And these are the kind of people who would go back to a church that is decidedly not evangelical, right? So a mainline church, United Methodist or Episcopalian, although in a lot of places those churches don't really exist anymore, they would be much more drawn to those kind of, you know, organizations than they would a traditional evangelical church. They're looking for a church that is isn't partisan or at least is bipartisan, right? So, you know, kind of gives it both to the left and the right. They want doctrine and ethics to be taken seriously. They want a church that's deeply empathetic and they really want a church that makes investments into the mental health of the church body, both individually and corporately. These are the kind of people who would have left evangelicalism for the main line a long time ago. And in many places, like I said, they don't have that option anymore. So now they went from being churched evangelicals to de-churched people entirely because they just can't find a church that checks those boxes they need. All right, Mike, let's move to the last group that we're going to address in uh, in this episode, the last group of de-churched evangelicals, this BIPOC group. So we call this group BIPOC. And what that stands for is Black indigenous and persons of color. This is a technical term. It's an acronym. Zero percent of this group, this fourth group of de-churched evangelicals is white. Now, it's important to note here, and Ryan's kind of hit on this a couple times, that the, um, the algorithm, we did not give it the ability to see people's race or ethnicity. So when the algorithm sorted, you know, these, um, these four different types of de-churched evangelicals into different groups, it did not have the ability to see race or ethnicity. So it is fascinating that of, you know, the first group was 98% white, the second group 91% white, the third group um, 82% white. Um, This last group is 0% white. So, you know, in kind of talking with Ryan about this, you know, sometimes uh, Ryan would talk about how this is basically the the idea of a shadow in the data. Ryan, do you want to kind of explain just briefly before I, you know, kind of flesh this out a little bit more, like what a shadow in the data is? 
Yes, it's the you know this idea that algorithms are are not racially motivated. They don't see race. They don't see gender. They don't see you know things like race color all this data. Like it's always just kind of looming over. There's a book called Algorithms of Oppression that say that algorithms actually make racial inequities in America worse, not better, because race kind of plays into every other variable that we included in the data set, including education or income, urban versus rural. I mean, all these things are impacted by race. And again, it's just really fascinating that we didn't say we want you to create a non-white cluster. And it's like, okay, I'll do that. It just saw race as this really defining characteristic in the data over and above things that we would think about like partisanship or education or income or age. It said, wow, race really, really matters. And these non-white people are distinct from a statistical standpoint from the rest of the group. And, And I think it tells you, you know, we talk about race being one of the defining cleavages in American life. And an algorithm, the fact that an algorithm can see that tells you that it's not just a theoretical thing. It's actually something that shows up in the data, generally speaking, but also in our data set as well. So, you know, as, as we're kind of, you know, looking at this fourth group, the BIPOC dechurched evangelical group, um, one of the things that Ryan really tried to impress on me and Jim from the outset is that this large data set will always have things that surprise you and don't fit into clean and simple narratives. So like the mainstream evangelical group um, and, and ex-evangelicals, there are about, again, about two and a half million people in each of those three groups. So, the, you know, the, the second, third and fourth groups that we covered, mainstream evangelical, dechurched, the ex-evangelicals and the BIPOC dechurched evangelicals. Each of these groups is about two and a half million people. So this group, interestingly enough, is overwhelmingly male. 68% of the group were men. The average age of this group today is 51, but the average age when they left the church was 27, meaning on average, this group left the church in the in the very late 1990s, making them some of the very first evangelicals to de-church. Okay, now this group, I have nothing, I, I literally have no educated, I have no educated opinion on. I, I can't say. All the other groups, I think I've dealt with these issues, talked about these issues. I believe I've got educated uh ideas and understanding. I think I can offer something of significance. I This group, I mean, they were de-churching when I was really just kind of entering into the world of Christianity. They were de-churching. They were leaving. And this is a, a, a you know, a, a racial makeup that's obviously different than my, my culture and where I'm from, obviously born here in West Texas. Clearly I'm white. So what? Did, like, did these people leave because of social issues? Now, I will say, or because of racial issues. I don't know if that's where they're going. I have, I've said it before, and I'll never understand why there's a white church slash black church slash, like, I don't understand that, right? Like, why, why does that happen? I know people have a tendency to feel comfortable. And I guess they're the, the surroundings that they're nor that that's more like them. In other words, you find comfort and and being with like people. I, I guess I can understand that to some level. You would just think Christianity would be the place that none of that matters, right? You weren't. I, I, I say I've tried to say this all the time to even the people in my church. 
because I may not have anything in common with anyone in my church. I may not, I, I may not, I definitely probably don't have anything in common with them politically. I definitely don't have anything in common with them culturally. I don't even think I have anything in common with them, just your everyday hobby and entertainment. Like, I think I am completely separate from everyone. But you know what? None of that matters because we don't come to church to talk about all of those issues. We don't come to church. We come to church to open up the word of God. So to me, whatever your cultural background is, who cares? You're walking into a church to hear the word of God preached. And that church should not worry about trying to make everyone the same culturally. I want you to maintain your cultural distinctives and your own personality distinctives. What we need is to be like-minded theologically. What we need to be is like-minded hermeneutically. What we need to be is like-minded, you know, doctrinally. That's what we need. So I don't know if that's what caused the problem. I, this, I, I'm, I, I, I just, I don't, I, I don't, I don't know. I, man, this one, this one, I, I, I don't have a lot to say about this one. The group was 76% black and 15% Hispanic. What that means when you put that together with, uh, with gender, 52% of this group were black men, meaning over one and a quarter million black men have left evangelical churches, and most of that was in the late 1990s. Here's where things get even more interesting. This group had the highest income and the highest education of any de-churched or churched group. We're talking over six-figure incomes with graduate degrees and PhDs on average. The group scored similarly to cultural Christians and de-churched mainliners on, the, on their orthodoxy score at 58%. They leaned independent in terms of party self-identification and center-left policy-wise. Um, United States institutions worked nearly as bad for this group as the dismal rates that we saw among the ex-evangelical group. However... This group still achieved in spite of those institutional failures. So something interesting here. The cultural Christians, the cultural Christians who scored like basically were not even Christians, right? The cultural Christians who 99% could not agree with the statement that Jesus is the eternal son of God. Remember, their politics was right of center. They were right. They were they were more hardcore Republican, hardcore uh, conservative. All the other groups, which do much better with their orthodoxy, with their Christianity, was left of center. Isn't that fascinating? The the apostate group was the one who was right. <laughs> the other groups, who at least doctrinally were not apostate, were left. I want, I want, is, what do, I don't know. How, what do you do with that data? The, the, the more apostate you are, the more, the more <laughs> Republican and conservative you're going to be. Like, I don't know how you, what do you do with that data? Because some people are like, if you really believe in Jesus, you'll be supporting Trump, right? And it's like, well, wait a minute. The culture Christians, and I think the reason why the cultural Christians turn to such a conservative politic they're apostate. So they're looking to politics for the answer. When if you are, if you are more orthodox, you're not looking to politics as your answer. So you may politically be like, you know what? Let the world do this. I, I let the world do this. Let the world do like, I, I, I don't know. Like something that is fascinating to me. You, you can, you can process that information.
while this group had very negative views on institutions like the criminal justice system and police, they did not seem to experience racial issues as being widespread as what um, you may have thought compared to some of the other groups. It's important to note here that these attitudes expressed here are not likely well presented among other BIPOC persons as I don't think this group is actually a very uh, representative subset sample among BIPOC persons in the United States, primarily for the reason that every single person that was in this group willfully chose um, for an extended period of their life to attend an evangelical church on a weekly basis, um, or at least on a monthly basis. And so given the large-scale demographics of evangelicalism itself being overwhelmingly white, most of these folks... Um, by corollary, chose to attend white evangelical churches. So uh, I don't think the average um, BIPOC person in America um, has chosen to, you know, attend on a monthly basis a white evangelical church. So that's why this group is a really interesting group of people, um, probably not representative of the larger population, but it is very interesting to to note that there's a group of of people who are 52%, you know, Black men with uh, very, very upwardly mobile, very highly educated, very high income, by far the highest income, by far the highest um, education. And these people left the church, um, evangelical churches in the late 90s. Fascinating group of people. So those, the first four groups, those are groups of evangelicals who have de-churched. But Mike, we have two more groups. We have mainlines that have de-churched. Okay, and we'll stop there because I just wanted to hear the evangelical groups. Uh, you can go listen to the rest of that. As in heaven, their entire season is dedicated to de-churching. Please go listen to it. Please check it out. Um, please. And I just want you to focus on the fact that, you know, 40 million people have walked away from the church. They're broken down. Uh, 15 million are evangelicals. The evangelical groups are the cultural Christians who are basically apostate. That's 8 million. The rest of the groups make up 2.5 million in each category. They're mainstream, the mainstream Christians, which look just like churchgoers, orthodox, but they've just walked away from church, but they seem to be willing to come back. The ex-evangelical, which you would think has abandoned Christianity, but they're 100% saying they're not coming back, uh, but they're, they're relatively orthodox. And the BIPOC, which is for people of color, people who are not white. Those are the groups. There's all the data. The book, The Great Dechurching, look it up. It'll be coming out in a couple of months. Um, get you, buy you a copy. Know this data. And we will be talking more about where the church may be headed in the next few years. But the church is undergoing a massive transition. There is no way to get around it. What it's going to look like in the next five years is going to be fascinating. And uh, I would love to get your stories, your thoughts. You can email them to me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. And that is your Today's Focus for Saturday, May the 20th, 2023. Thank you for listening.